The information discussed on this show is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All content is for general informational purposes only. It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins Guys Guys Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think and feel, and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights of the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. And this week, we've got a return guest, and he's terrific, and his name is Harvey Arriton. He's a Hall of Fame sports writer, most notably for the New York Times, and it's baseball season, so I wanted to start off with a, a discussion about baseball. So he's, he's got a book called Driving Mr. Yogi. It's about Yogi Berra, Ron Guidry, and baseball's greatest gift, which is friendship and also just the Yankee family. And we're going to get into those players and their friendship and spring training and all that fun stuff when it comes to baseball and also about that Yankee universe. That's a very special place, particularly if you're a Yankees fan. You're really part of a big, big worldwide family because there's just so many Yankee fans everywhere. I remember as a kid growing up in New Jersey, I watched the Yankees all the time. My folks were kind enough to bring my brother and I to Yankee Stadium to see Old Timers game. We went for like two or three years in a row and then it really set in that I was a big Yankees because during that time frame, the Yankees won uh, the World Series or were in the World Series consistently over that time. And you just expected them to be there with players like Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris and Whitey Ford and Cleet Boyer and, gee whiz, so many others. Bobby Richardson, of course, Yogi Berra and Elston Howard, a catcher who followed him. But what really, really is a demonstration of how the Yankee fandom can even affect your family, if you will. I remember as a kid, I was laying on the carpet in my living room watching the Yankees play the Detroit Tigers. It was back on June 24th, 1962, and the Yankees were at Detroit, and they were playing this game, and my mom was standing over in the corner of the room on the other side, and she was ironing my dad's shirts, and she was watching with me, and we kept watching and we kept watching, and we kept watching, and the game went on. We had something to eat, and but we kept watching, and it went for 22 innings, and the Yankees finally won 9-7. to seven. So, you know, the Yankees really brought us together, my mom and I as fans, and then my mom watched, I think she watched almost every game for until recently because she's now has a little bit of memories issues, as uh, some people tend to get when they when they hit their 90s, and uh, so she, she's, she's not really capable of taking in the the fine points of watching a Yankees game, but we put it on for her when we can, and God bless her for, and all her fandom for the Yankees over the year, and, and so much joy, and how much it brought our family together, just in something that was a, a, just a shared experience. And for many others who grew up in the Northeast, particularly in uh, northern New Jersey or New York and down the Jersey Shore, big Yankee fan countries down there. So, Guys, Guys Radio, what else can we talk about? Quickly, because I want to get to our interview, but I've been mentioning kind of those 10 or 12 healthy tips and protocols that I've been practicing since COVID began, and some I've dialed up and some I've added. So one is cardio, which I've always done. I just want real quick, 
everybody knows that cardio is good for the heart and it's good for the blood flow. And I don't have to get into all of that, but I still run. I do rebounding, which is I have a mini trampoline at home and I just up and down on that for about 30 minutes. It works wonders. I mentioned that in an earlier show, but also uh, running, biking, walking, swimming, whatever. It's all about getting moving. And if you can only walk a little bit, walk a little bit and then add a little bit more and a little bit more. But get out there, get outside, go for a walk, go for a swim, go for a walk, go for a run, go for a jog. Whatever you can do to keep your body moving is always going to be good for you. So, Guys Guys Radio, let's get on to our interview portion with our special guest, the return to Guys Guys Radio by Hall of Fame sports writer Harvey Ariton. Guys Guy Radio. Okay, Guys Guys Radio, it's the interview portion of our show. As I mentioned, our very special return guest is Hall of Fame sports writer Harvey Ariton. Harvey is a journalist, he's an author, he's a college professor, lives in Montclair, New Jersey. You might have might have heard of him if you're from the Northeast. I'm sure you've read his work. Four newspapers he wrote for the Staten Island Advance, New York Post, Daily News, New York Times. He's a Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame winner for his work on basketball. He writes about the Knicks, tennis, baseball. Probably seminal book is When the Garden Was Eden. And his last book was Our Last Season about his friend and his enjoying the Knicks games and sharing kind of career stories and secrets over the years. That was called Our Last Season. And we're back today to talk about baseball and another one of Harvey's seminal books. It's called Driving Mr. Yogi, Yogi Berra, Ron Guidry, and Baseball's Greatest Gift. Welcome back to Guys Guys Radio, Harvey Ariton. Good to be here with you, Robert. Thanks so much. So let's get right to it. I read the book over the weekend. I made a lot of notes, have a lot of questions, but really who, for you, who, who is Yogi Berra, and what is why is there this mystique about him? He's a very interesting individual, very different. Yeah, well, you know, when I was a young, when I was a kid growing up in New York, Yogi was practically, you know, he was, he was beyond a baseball player. He was really a cultural icon. I mean, you know, sort of a cuddly guy with the name Yogi, and also part of the Yankees dynasty, you know, Hall of Fame catcher. As I was growing up, I mean, I was a young boy. You know, I remember watching him in the 1960 World Series, my, really my first exposure to baseball. In fact, uh, I believe Bill Mazeroski's home run that right. Ralph Terry in Game 7 sailed over Yogi's head in left field. That's right. He moved out to left field by that point. So then, of course, you know, he played very briefly with the Mets and then had a long, you know, a career as a coach and manager in New York and in Houston briefly as well. But then as a, you know, as a family man, I think around my 38th, 39th birthday, I moved to Montclair, New Jersey, which is Yogi's town. Yogi spent many decades living here, raised his children. They all went to Montclair High School. I got to know Yogi on a whole different realm. It's sort of like this townie here in here in Montclair. And what, what I, what I learned, he asked me about what makes Yogi special different is that he was probably the most unassuming, approachable superstar celebrity athlete in the history of sports. I mean, Yogi was just a regular guy. I mean, 
it didn't make a difference to Yogi whether he was talking to George Steinbrenner or to the guy at the corner selling him a newspaper. You know, everyone was the same, just a regular guy from the old Italian neighborhood in St. Louis, Missouri. And that's the way he treated, and that's the, that's the way he treated people here in town. From a quick story, maybe a year or two after I moved here, and they have a Booktoberfest every fall. And uh, I remember my in-laws coming down from Greenwich, Connecticut, and we were strolling through the park where they, they had the festival. And my father-in-law stopped and grabbed my arm and said, is that Yogi Berra? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, Yogi lives here. You know, Yogi's Mr. Montclair. Go over and talk to him. He'd love to talk to you. My father-in-law was like, what, are you kidding? It's Yogi Berra. And uh, finally, I, I convinced him to go over. He stood there and talked to him for 15 or 20 minutes, like he was just a regular guy on the street. And uh, my father-in-law was amazed. And I said, that, that's who he is. You know, that's, you know, that's the character that we all, America all came to, to know and love. But, you know, a lot of people also came to know him through his offbeat expressions, you know, the things that sort of malapropisms and, and through that, through his ball playing. And this book, Driving Mr. Yogi, really provided a window into another part of Yogi's life, uh, his geriatric life and the incredibly sincere and loving relationship he had with Ron Guidry, the great Yankees left-hander. Yeah, it's an amazing story. Family, friendship between generations. You got the Yankee universe about aging, baseball as a family, and then becoming a business, the driving with the pitcher and the catcher dynamic. You got, you got a lot going on here, Harvey, and you did a fantastic job. And for people who don't know, Yogi Berra spent around 17 seasons or so, 14 World Series 10 World Series victories. I believe he had three MVPs and he was a real free swinger. He rarely struck out. He'd swing it. He was like Soriano, if you remember him. He was very similar to Yogi in that they managed to hit balls out of the strike zone all the time. So he's a really uh, interesting character. And we all know the Yogi isms. Like if you come to a fork in a road, take it. Or this is like deja vu all over again. H how did you, uh, Harvey, come to terms with? this as a concept for the book, not just Yogi, but then the Yogi and Ron Guidry connection. It's an interesting story, Robert. I have a close friend who I worked with at the Daily News in New York a bunch of years ago named Dave Kaplan. And Dave is also a Montclair guy. And uh, I moved here maybe two years after he did. Our families are quite close. And so Dave, at some point, left the newspaper business. Really, it was a late 90s when a bunch of well-leveraged people, let's put it that way, uh, around town decided to build uh, a small baseball stadium on the campus of Montclair State University called Yogi Berra Stadium. And they've had independent ball teams play there, the, the university team. But right next door to it, they also built the Yogi Berra Museum and a Learning Center. It opened in 1999, and it's a historic location because it's where George Steinbrenner came to beg Yogi's forgiveness after Yogi's self-imposed exile from the Yankee, from Yankee Stadium for 14 years for George firing him in, I believe it was the 85 season, I want to say, through an intermediary. And Yogi like the trail. 16, 16 games into the season. Or something yeah, like he that. had the general manager deliver the news, and Yogi getting fired wasn't 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 the point. It was the way it was delivered. Anyway, 
they opened this museum, I believe in 1999, and Dave became its first executive director. So fast forward to the year 2013, I wanna say, and uh, no, I'm sorry, 2011. And I had a 14 year old black Labrador uh, who passed away in February of 2011. And we, it was the first dog I ever had. So I absolutely adored that dog. And Dave Kaplan and his wife, who was very close to my wife, took us out for dinner the first night just to get us out of the house because, you know, you lose a pet and the house is suddenly very still and depressing, right? So they took us out to dinner and while we were out that night, I mentioned to Dave that I was going down to spring training the following week to spend some time around the Yankees writing my columns for the New York Times. And I said to him, you know, you know, at that point, Yogi was getting up there in age and it had been some well chronicled, you know, falls he had taken. And uh, so I, I said to him, when, when, when is Yogi going down? And he said, oh, he's going down the week after next. And I said, well, I'm just curious, who takes care of Yogi when he goes down? Does Carmen, his wife, go down with him to make sure that, you know, he's got somebody with him most of the time? And they said, no, actually, it's kind of interesting. He's got this relationship with Ron Guidry. And, you know, it started around 1999, 2000, when Yogi returned to the fold. Uh, and, um, you know, and that in, in the span of years that Yogi had stopped going, you know, it ended his association with the Yankees. They had moved their spring training base from Fort Lauderdale to, to Tampa. Right. And so when Yogi went down the first time, he was kind of like a stranger in a strange land and didn't know where to go, didn't know where to go for dinner, didn't know where to stay. And Gidry just kind of, you know, he had this relation, he had, he had established this relationship with Yogi when he was a young pitcher in the Yankee organization. And Yogi kind of took him under his wing and looked after him as a coach and then later a manager. So you know, sort of as just basically being a good guy, which Gidry is, he decided, you know, that he would kind of look after Yogi when he first came down that, that first year. And so anyway, Dave said the relationship kind of took off from there. And I said, has anybody written about that? He said, you know, actually, no. You know, sports writing is a very focused process, right? And I think more so today, than in the old days, today, you know, everything is so immediate. So the guys covering the teams kind of can get locked in on all the incremental news. Like, you know, so-and-so, the third starter, developed some soreness in his elbow today, so they're shutting him down. You know, so-and-so reported to camp 12 pounds overweight, or he's got a, he's got a bruised pinky, or... And sometimes, you know, so the forest gets lost through the trees. And so he said, no, no one's ever written about it. And so I drove home and I, I really didn't think too much about it, but then it kind of hit me. It was like the ultimate spring training story. You had a catcher and a pitcher. I mean, the first thing everybody talks about, you know, as we're getting closer to spring training are pitchers and catchers. Exactly. So I um, went up to the museum before I left for Florida and I talked to Yogi and I talked to Carmen, his wife, about Gidry and they sang his praises and they talked about all he's, all he's done for Yogi. And then I flew down and I uh, waited for Gidry outside the coach's room in the Tampa headquarters. And I didn't really know Gidry well, you know, a couple of interviews when he was pitching coach for Joe Torre, 
And he came out and I said, um, I told him, you know, what I wanted to write about. He immediately kind of held his hands up and said, that's very personal. That's between me and Yogi. I didn't really want to get into it. And my heart sank because I thought this would be kind of a cool story. Absolutely. And then I said, well, you know, you know, I live in Montclair. I, I, I've known my kids have kind of grown up at that museum and I know the family and I talked to Yogi and Carmen about it. And he went, oh, if Yogi and Carmen talked about it, then that's fine. You know, what do you want to know? I turned on my recorder and for the next 45 minutes, he regaled me with all these wonderful stories about his relationship with Yogi. Funny stories, heart-wrenching stories. It went from there. The story wound up on A1 of the Times with a photo of Gidru. We had stationed a photographer to wait for Yogi when he was flying down the following week. Gidri was there to pick him up as always. And there was a great photo of them emerging from the terminal with Gidri holding Yogi's bags and Yogi kind of following after him like a, like a mascot, right? And it was on the front, I don't mean the front page of the sports section, I mean the front page of the newspaper. And the story generated such interest and, you know, sentiment. You know, Yogi is a widely beloved character and Gidri, a deeply respected, you know, Yankees pitcher. And within a week, we had multiple offers to turn it into a book. And that's how the book really evolved. Fantastic. My special guest on Guys Guys Radio returning is Hall of Fame sports writer and author Harvey Arriton. We're talking about the book Driving Mr. Yogi, Yogi Berra Ron Guidry and Baseball's Greatest Gift. I wanted to do this show because even though the book came out a few years ago, it's a fantastic book, a New York Times bestseller, and it's a timeless story between of the friendship between Yogi Berra, who played in the kind of 50s, 60s, and Ron Guidry, who was a pitcher in the 70s. One of the things I picked up, Harvey, from reading the book is that the what, what Guidry and Berra seem to have in common is that they were kind of overlooked. And Yogi was small for a catcher. He didn't look like, you know, your classic style athlete. And he, he was turned down by the uh, Brooklyn Dodgers at the time. And when he was coming up, Ron Guidry was almost on the trading block. Steinbrenner thought he was too small, too thin. Yet he was a, a high school sprinter, super athlete, um, 25 and three, one year. Um, probably didn't get enough wins to get into the Hall of Fame, but just a real Yankee icon and very clutch. Louisiana Lightning, Gator, whatever. But the, the bond between the two seemed to be partially created, correct me if I'm wrong, Harvey, that they were both kind of underdogs. Is, is that make sense? Well, Yogi, certainly. I mean, you know, that when he, even when he got to the major leagues, people were cr- almost cruel, making fun of his stature and his looks. And, you know, I don't think anybody really thought that he was going to become as great a player as he, as he became. So certainly that holds true. I mean, Guidry, great athlete, you know, but a sort of a, a skinny, undersized power pitcher, sort of like maybe the Pedro Martinez of his time. Yeah. And that, you know, doesn't didn't particularly look imposing out there, but between his fastball in the mid to high 90s and his just absolutely wicked slider that he threw, you know, really was, was a strikeout pitcher. And in that year, 1978, that you referred to when he was 25 and three, he was virtually unhittable. But I think the, the thing that really connected him was you have to realize what a challenge it was to be a young pitcher 
coming up in the Yankees organization in the 1970s when George Steinbrenner was really kind of a complete lunatic, you know, to put it mildly, you know, and, you know, was so volatile and overreactive, you know, baseball is a game of patience and letting people develop and grow into their talents. And George had a ment he had more of a football mentality than anything else. And, you know, young pitchers came up in, in the Yankee organization and, you know, there was a guy named Jim Beatty who came up and, and had a terrible game in Boston and Steinbrenner burst into the press box and accused him, said he spit the bit and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, guys would be up in the majors one day and then a trap door would literally open up and eat their feet and they'd be in Columbus, the Yankee triple yeah. a farm. And the managers uh, too, right? The manager, manager pitching coaches. I mean, it was, but, but if you think about the most difficult, the most difficult position to, you know, to get your footing would be a pitcher. Uh, when you're being judged because the game is so often won and lost on how the pitcher, pitcher performs. And Guidry, you know, took his, he, he had some lumps. He went up and down. And fortunately for him, Yogi's dressing stall was like right near his in the old Yankee clubhouse in the, in the old, old Yankee stadium. And he just kind of took Guidry under his wing. And, you know, Yogi was not a loquacious man by any stretch, but he had these little phrases, these little these little phrases, and of course he had a world of experience, and he was a very caring guy, and he just developed this relationship with Gidry. Um, Gidry always used to tell me, "Please don't ever portray it as a father son thing." Gidry is a very strong family man, and his father was still alive as we were doing this book, and he said, "Just, just." call Yogi my best friend. It was a very sweet way to portray the friendship, the relationship. But yeah, I think the underdog nature of it, you know, for Yogi, uh, just based on the, the skepticism about whether it would even be a viable major league player and Guidry having to navigate, you know, the landmines that came, that young players, you know, inevitably stepped on around Yankee Stadium. The Bronx uh, Zoo, right? That was yeah. the time of the Bronx Zoo. T tell us about that, Harvey. The Yankee universe. You got you got yourself in there. One of the things I love about the book is, yes, there's a relationship between Gidry and Yogi, and Gidry is so giving in that he picks him up, he drives him around wherever Yogi wants to eat, and Yogi's a little bit deep, but he's very specific about you know punctuality and going to this restaurant and then that restaurant. He had his whole little routine that Gidry had to adhere to, and he was so kind and giving about that. But I, I think there's something else that you've done that's wonderful in this book besides really capturing that family and friendship. And that is the family type of Yankee universe that existed that turned more into a business. And with Steinbrenner, what you referred to as a chronic short-sightedness in terms of how you evaluate talent. Getting into the Yankee universe, what, what did you really find out that you what surprised you or you didn't know about when you got in there? Well, actually, I think what I found out was that there, there, you know, there were two sides of Steinbrenner. One was that, you know, demanding, overzealous, overreactive owner, uh, who often, you know, essentially shot himself in the foot, you know, by putting too much pressure on people and sometimes doing things that were counterproductive to a team's success. But the other side was the softer side of George, and that it was also very important for him to maintain that within within the organization, the family environment, 
and the idea that the Yankees pinstripes stood for something. You know, they're still the only team. I think they're the only team left in the major leagues that still has an old timers game. And there is, there is that sense of belonging to the Yankee family. George obviously was very difficult, but because, you know, he often felt remorse. I mean, look at Billy Martin, you know, he, he hired and fired him five times and probably would have hired him a sixth time had Billy not died in a car crash. Now, in Billy's case, a lot of people, including myself, felt that, you know, in many ways, George was not helpful to Billy because the pressure that was on Billy every time he managed the Yankees, you know, caused them to drink a lot and be combative and get into fights. And, you know, ultimately, he might have been better off working somewhere else or just not working at all. But as for, you know, all the others, you know, I mean, all the years after, you know, Guidry had retired, he was still, you know, one of the the Yankee regulars in spring training, along with a host of others, Mickey Rivers, Craig Nettles, Greg Nettles, a whole bunch of guys, Reggie, obviously, who are always around, you know, during spring training to kind of continue that generational continuity. And that was something that, I, you know, I kind of, before I did this book, as a columnist, you know, writing more analytical things or opinionated things, I probably had a more jaded or cynical attitude about the organization that a lot of that was just hyperbole. But, you know, spending like three or four days with Guidry in, in Louisiana as we worked on this book and uh, interviewing a lot of the, you know, the people who were in their, you know, in, in their sphere of influence, whether it was, you know, Joe Torrey and Girardi after, you know, he replaced Joe as manager, David Cohn, uh, all the people who showed up in cameos in the book convinced me that there really was something to this Yankee lore. That's interesting. Uh, another guy who's in that kind of underdog, underappreciated, under-identified as a future star, Don Mattingly, a smaller guy, played first base, but like a cat with his defense and a quick bat. And Berra noticed that he had the skills and mentioned it to Steinbrenner. And then when Mattingly went on with a great, had a great career, and then as he became the Dodgers manager, I thought there was a couple of interesting things. One, he took number eight in deference to Yogi. And also Guidry got invited to become pitching coach there. He had been the pitching coach of the Yankees for a couple of years. And he said no, because he wouldn't put on a Dodgers uniform. And then in today's world, that's that's old school. And I, I have a lot of admiration for that because it's just something somebody wants to do. I'm not saying I would do it or if it's right or wrong, whatever. But he drew the line where he wouldn't wear, quote unquote, the enemy's uniform. And now like baseball is such a business. It really stuck out that these guys are really special, this Yankee team. Well, I remember in the later near the tail end of the book, uh, I accompanied Ron and Yogi up to Cooperstown. One of Yogi's favorite days of the year was going up to uh, Cooperstown for the Hall of Fame weekend. And I got there early and Yogi was going to sign. SI had done a cover piece on, on Yogi and he was going to sign a bunch of copies and then do a, a, a signing, outdoor signing with Ron. And when we got there, we were in the back, in this back room of this uh, sort of restaurant that was going to host the outdoor signing in front. And uh, Goose Gossett showed up. And for about an hour while Yogi was pacing himself, signing these magazines, Goose and Guidry started telling stories about 
the seventies Yankees, you know, the teams that, that won the two titles, uh, 77, 78, and, and those teams with George and the craziness. And that was really the Bronx, the height of the Bronx zoo. And I mean, Yogi's face was like a little kid's. He, he was just, you know, taking it all in and Gidry would get up and he was animated and he was like, you know, making believe he was pitching and, you know, going through the motions and Gossage was telling stories about playing in the Seattle Dome. And it was just, it was just a wonderful, they were like little kids. I mean, they, they really, they, they, as much as they may have been aggravated during those years in, in sort of recollecting it or the retrospective of it, the retrospective of it was that it was the greatest time ever. And I think, you know, when the teams win, I think the 80s tended to be an unhappier time for a lot of the guys who came to Winfield, right. even Mattingly, because they never won during the 80s. But if you went through that, it was like probably going to war with all the craziness of being ordered around by the generals and the casualties and everything. But when you emerge victorious, as they did in the late 70s, right, they came through it. And they have this camaraderie about it that makes, you know, plus it, it was done in New York City at a time when, let's face it, baseball was truly the national pastime. I mean, baseball has, you know, whatever we want to call it these days, it probably ranks, well, we certainly know it ranks behind pro football now, the NFL, as the most popular sport. Right. And probably behind the NBA because of its global outreach and the, the, the leveraged marketing power of individual NBA players like LeBron and Durant and, you know, following on the heels of Michael. But in 1978, and in fact, I made this point a few months ago at the, well, a couple of months ago around the one year anniversary of Kobe Bryant's death. And I interviewed Diana Munson because I wanted to write a column for the times about what it was like to raise children who lost a celebrity superstar father in such a you know, sensational, tragic way that everybody in the public who, who knew him would have a sense of, right? And, and Diana Munson, I know I've had some contact with her through the years. She's a very candid, emotional person, shares a lot. And, you know, in writing that column, the point I made was that although a lot of people would have a hard time believing it that Thurman Munson when he died in 1979 in a plane crash was every bit the celebrity athlete that Kobe Bryant was in 2020 not the marketing brand because that all changed you know global marketing Nike all of that stuff but in terms of visibility he was Munson was the Captain of the Yankees, Captain right? Of the two-time defending champion Yankees when he lost his life. So, you know, those guys were huge. And baseball players, I don't think, carry the same clout as they did back, you know, in those days. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. So the name of the book is Driving Miss, Mr. Yogi about Yogi Berra, Ron Guidry's connection. Harvey Arrington is my special guest on Guys Guys Radio. And uh, just one last point about Yogi. I think one of the th amazing things that he, he said was, uh, here's a couple of them. 
I, if I knew I was going to take the, I knew I was going to take the wrong train, so I left early. And you can observe a lot by just watching. Well, he was a good watcher because he actually helped Nick Swisher, Yankee uh, first baseman and outfielder in the uh, 90s and early 2000s, I believe. He was falling behind a lot of uh, pitchers. We're getting him on sinkers and breaking balls. And Yogi just watched him and suggested, hey, maybe he needs to step up in the box. And he was reticent about giving him that advice because there was already a batting coach and Yogi was very respectful. But Word got through. Swisher was going to go trash a water cooler after striking out again. And Gidry stood up, blocked his path, and said, he wants to talk to you, pointing over to Yogi. And they sat down, and Yogi gave him some advice, and it helped Swisher, and they became friends also. Just wonderful stories like that throughout your book, Harvey. Yeah, in fact, you know, that was one of the unsung and spontaneous things that Gidry would do for Yogi. I'll never forget, in, in some ways... You know, it was amazing. I remember Yogi's golf tournament, uh, which he held every year. I think they still hold it in his name here at the Montclair Golf Club. And the one year that I was working on the book, I went to the event and they always, you know, they have Yogi get up and say a few words. And then, he, and, and then when they, they do the pairings for the, you know, for the, for the outing, so Yogi stands up to to walk across and this is like a step down onto, you know, toward the, the, the green, the first green or something. And Gidry, I just noticed these kinds of things. Gidry intuitively would, would be the first one to stand up and walk with Yogi to make sure, you know, that his, his, uh, his feet were steady. You know, he, he cared for him in a way that was incredibly loving and, um, and then, you know, once he was able to, to stay, it was in the dugout, you know, Swisher had grounded out again for like the sixth straight time and because he was, he was swinging over the sinker. And um, as he came back, as he said, he was headed to the water cooler and Gidry just blocked his path and said, he wants to talk to you. And, and they sat down and Yogi said, uh, you know, again, not loquacious, but you know, you might, you might want to move back in the box a little bit. And uh I'm sorry, you want to move up in the box. Up, right. yeah. And um and he uh in the next on the next at bat, he 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 ripped a double into the alley and he was standing on second base and doing this, pointing at Yogi in the dugout, and Gidry had to like smack Yogi and say, He's he's pointing at you. After that, Gidry, after that, Swisher and Yogi developed a friendship. <laughs> I know. And in fact, the following year, when they had the golf tournament. The Yankees, the scheduling wasn't great. Yogi had always invited some of the you know, players to come out. The Yankees were playing in California the day before the golf tournament, and they flew home overnight. And Nick Swisher was the only player to show up to the golf tournament the next morning on like two hours sleep. It was these kinds of connections that, again, all part of that Yankee lore. Uh, and I thought this book beyond the relationship of Yogi and Gidry really spoke to, you know, uh, the kind of relationships that existed in that Yankee universe. Yes, a masterful job, Harvey. Really great book. Let's talk a little bit about more about the Yankees, if it's okay with you. George Steinbrenner, I, I, you know, for, you know, he was right on some things, he was wrong on some things, his demeanor and tone were sometimes not very good, and he did make a lot of knee-jerk moves. 
but he did bring winners to New York. He won championships and he wasn't afraid to spend the money. Now, as you said, the Yankees were chronically short-sighted they, and they went for the expensive veterans a lot. But, you know, he spent so much money, it worked out. Now his sons run the team, or at least one of the sons, I think, the one, I think one had passed recently, but the other one runs the team. And it's all about staying under the uh, the tax guideline or whatever. And I'm like, I'm out here in San Diego now. I was a Yankee fan. I'm a Yankee fan for life. I went to Old Timers Day many times with my parents. I must have been to 150 Yankee games over the years and just love them. But I can't understand why Hal Steinbrenner Jr., whatever his actual name is, I don't know if it's Jr. or just Hal, um, won't spend, he's spending some money. They spent on Garrett Cole, but you know, you had the opportunities. There's other guys that are out there and they're worried about this uh, threshold. Whereas I'm out here in San Diego and the Padres are like, okay, here's a contract, 300 million for the next 14 years. Here's a contract, 400 million. They just, and you know what? They've gone from nothing to like win in the top five teams in baseball, snap just like that. Now the Yankees are always in it every year, but it seems like we're always kind of slapping together a, a pitching, starting pitching. And I'm like, why, why? This is really what wins games now. You've got the hitting, but the hitting can get shut down in the playoffs. You've got to have those starters. What are your thoughts, Harvey? I actually will disagree a little bit. I think okay. uh, that, you know, um, they, they, you know, they, through the years, they've gone out and spent a lot of money. Um, you know, they, I mean, I think, of th- and, and had some, you know, serious misses. Jacoby Ellsbury comes to mind. <laughs> um, you know, there's, there are some contracts that they threw out there that. Um, Who knows about you know, Stanton, right? Even the second A-Rod contract, right? Um, Stanton thing to me was, a you know, I mean, the guy's a serious home run hitter, but, you know, he strikes out a lot. And, and Injury. They, they had other guys, they had other bats coming through the system. Um, I think the one thing about, I will say, and, and, you know, when George got old and, and you know, he was on his way to, uh, you know, to, to, to the end of his life, um, initially his son Hank looked like, like he was going to be the guy to take over. And Hank was a lot like George. He was really unpredictable and volatile and he was starting to spout off in the press. And I think people were like, oh, geez, we're going to have to deal with this for another 20 years. And then I think the family kind of felt like, you know what, we can't go through this again. And somehow, um, you know, Hal, who was always a much more, you know, calmer, reasonable guy, you know, positioned himself into the controlling owner's role. Unfortunately, Hank did pass away uh, not that long ago. But Hal's run, while it hasn't produced, you know, it only produced, produced the, the, the one championship in, in 2009, and George was still alive at that point, though I don't think he was actually running things. You know, they, they have been much more stable organization. I mean, they've had the same, they had, they've had, what, three managers now going back to 1995 is when, 96, when, uh, 96, when Tory took over, Tory Girardi and now Aaron Boone. They've had one general manager. They've had Brian Cashman. While some Yankee fans want to pull their hair out because they feel, you know, they've only won once. Um, I don't think it's lack of spending. I think that what House, the point that Hal's been trying to make is that 
teams have been winning, you know, with homegrown, you know, uh, prospects. Like it, it's not like the NBA where the obvious teams uh, wind up, you know, in, as a final four every year. Baseball has so many different variables. Uh, and yes, you're right about the pitching thing. But I kind of feel that the last couple of years in particular, they just run into some rotten luck injuries. I mean, Severino looked like he was going to be one of the best pitchers in the league. And he's had, you know, a couple of years in a row where he hasn't been able to pitch. They've had guys shut, shut down. The kid who looked like he was on his way to becoming a top flight starter wound up being, you know, losing a year, a year and a half to, uh, to domestic abuse. Uh, and, um, you know, we'll see. Now they brought in a couple of guys who are, I mean, obviously Cole's a top flight starter. They have a couple of guys who have been top starters. Who? What do you think of that? What do you think, Harvey? What do you think of Kluber and uh, Talion? Is that his name? Talion? Yeah, I think, I think if one of the two, if, you know, if Kluber alone reverts to top form, you know, they, I think, you know, they should have, uh, and and one of the two guys of Severino and the other kid is German, 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 one of those two, you know, comes back, uh, you know, four and five, uh, they have, you know, Montgomery and, and a couple of other young arms. They should be okay. They have a very deep bullpen. Um, I, I, I kind of, the thing that, you know, um, that would concern me is more the back end of the bullpen, you know, um, uh, Britain, you know, so. it's, it's tough to really maintain a high level year in, year out. And you never know when a guy is just going to go south. So um, that to me is even more, would be more of a concern, not the middle innings. I think they're pretty well set up. Uh, Chad Green, those guys. Uh, but I, I wonder about the back end a little bit. Okay. Uh, and, um, but I, you know, I think they're, they've got as good a shot as any. And I think certainly, you know, in, in, in a seat coming after a season where they had no fans and where they're going to have limited fans this year, at least to start, um, it's understandable why all these guys are concerned about keeping the payroll under wraps and, and out of the tax threshold. Mm-hmm. What's your thought on the, the DH for the National League? They It's supposedly going to be implemented next year and it was on the schedule and then they pulled it from this year. I don't quite understand that as a fan. I mean, I, I don't like the DH. I heard, I, I was listening to the radio this morning. People are saying, oh, do you want your star pitcher running the bases? Yes, I do. I want the star pitcher up at bat, but I'm old school. I like the, I like the Yankees and the American League, but I like the National League style of play. And now they're going to take that away and the pitchers will never hit again. And it's, it's, it's just, to me, it's just something lacking because that's part of the fun when the pitchers hit. That's just me. What are your thoughts on the uh, DL, uh, DH in the National League? Yeah, I've never been a super fan of the DH. Uh, I like, you know, I always like baseball for its its tactical appeal. And, uh, you know, when do you hit for the pitcher? You know, bunting, you know, yeah. pitchers learning to bunt, uh, all that stuff. Uh, look, the, the horse was out of the barn decades ago as far as the American League is concerned. So it's pointless to grouse about that now. But I would rather, you know, and, and to the people who say you have to have universal, 
you know, universal rules, I always say, is every ballpark dimensions? Dimensions? Exactly. Baseball, it's nice having, um, that's what I like. I think sports are interesting when there's differences. Um, and you argue about which is better. I mean, that gets a, it gives us more to talk about. That's the appeal of sports. So, yeah, I'm not a big fan of implementing the DH in the National League. Uh, it's got its own brand of baseball. and it's, I, I don't really want to see it become homogenized. Okay, last question. Um, the uh, 2021 season. I'm going to give you my top four teams. You give me yours. You tell me who you think is going to be in and win the World Series. So I'm going to say Dodgers, Yankees, Braves, and Padres are the top teams. And the Yankees will play the Dodgers in the World Series. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I kind of feel like uh, I think uh, the Yankees, the Padres, I like what they obviously what they've done. The Braves, um, but I'm going to throw a wild card in there, uh, and I'm going to tell you that I think the Mets are going to have a big year. Oh. I like, I really like what they've Love done. It. Uh, and um, if they get Syndergaard back at some point and he's healthy, that only enhances a, repu- uh, a, a, uh, a rotation that has the guy still. I think is the best pitcher in baseball, in Degrom. Uh, um, yeah, I still worry about, again about their back end of their bullpen and Diaz, and but they've added a lot of good, solid role players. They've given themselves a franchise linchpin player in Lindor. Uh, I I like to think that Alfonso is going to have a bounce back year. I think a lot of the stuff that we saw in that sixty game sprint at a time when people were like, I think some a lot of guys were just kind of freaked out about playing last year, you know, and traveling around during, during COVID. Uh, we're not out of it yet, but I think things feel a little more normal. Uh, I think there'll be fans in ballparks, uh, you know, a percentage anyway of capacity. And uh, I think we're going to see a lot more of a normal season. I think the Mets have a lot of good hitters. And, uh, you know, Carrasco is out right now, but he should be back. Um I like what they've done, and I think they're due finally to uh, make a bit of a run. Fantastic. Well, my special guest, they say it's ain't, it ain't, another yogiism. It ain't over till it's over, but we're just about over. So Harvey Arriton, my special guest on Guys Guys Radio, returning guest, and I hope he'll come back again. This book is Driving Mr. Yogi, Yogi Berry, Ron Guidry, Baseball's Greatest Gift. Where can people find out more about you, Harvey, and uh, get a hold of your books? My books are all on uh, their own bookstores, um, but obviously on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, this book uh, has continued to sell for years. It's sold uh, probably over a hundred thousand copies. Uh, it was on the bestseller list for four weeks at the Times, and uh, it was a privilege to do because I think back-to-back books, when the Garden was eaten and Driving Mr. Yogi, were about people I grew up, you know, who are my heroes. And, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, at a certain point in my career, here I am spending real quality time with them and getting to know them as human beings. So that's been a great, very gratifying uh, period of, of my, own, my own career. Well, Harvey Arriton, thank you so much for being my guest, return guest on Guys Guys Radio. And you are a Guys Guy. So thanks for being here. Robert Manny's The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love is a fast-paced tale of flawed men and savvy women competing for love, sex, power, and money in the city where they play for keeps. It's the men's successor to Sex in the City, 
The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love is a sexy romp through the fast-moving, high-stakes world of Madison Avenue. Available now on Amazon and wherever books are sold. It's Guy's Guy Radio. I really enjoy that conversation with uh, Harvey Ariton and his return to Guys Guys Radio. You know, Harvey is a Hall of Fame sports writer, wrote for many years for the New York Times, amongst other uh, New York publications. And what I really like about his work is that he's a very thoughtful writer, and he, he, he approaches the subject matter of sports as a backdrop, and he really gets into the humanity of what's going on there with different individuals. And in this case, the book Driving Mr. Yogi, we get into the friendship of Yogi Berra, who's from the kind of 50s, 60s generation, and Ron Guidry, who's from the 70s, early 80s generation of the Yankees, and how wearing those pinstripes brings the different uh, different generations together when you're a Yankee, because wearing the pinstripes means so much, and there's such a history with this franchise, and the fa- between the fans and the players and just the institution of the New York Yankees and Yankee Stadium, it's a big part of uh, Americana, if you will. Now, I grew up in the Northeast and in Bergen County, New Jersey, and most of my friends were Yankee fans, not all of them. We had some people who liked out-of-town teams, and we also had a couple who were Mets fans because they came around in 1962. But for the most part, it's Yankee country. I went to a lot of games as a kid, as I mentioned earlier in the show, and the Yankees mean a lot. Um, For a sport, they actually mean a lot because they've been something, it's like, hey, I'm a big Rolling Stones fan. Why? I've been listening to them for almost 60 years. They're part of my they're part of my life. The Yankees have been part of my life also. The first game I went to, as I mentioned earlier, was an old-timers game at Yankee Stadium that my folks took me to. I sat through that 22-inning game with my mom against the Detroit Tigers, and I've been with them ever since. I've been to every type of ball game there, opening day, um, championship series, divisional series, World Series. I saw them win the series, lose the series. It's just been an incredible, uh, very interesting, fun part of my life and also all the camaraderie that goes along with it. So, Guys Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening on KCAA Radio here in Southern California, 102.3, 106.5 FM, 10.50 AM at 8 PM Pacific Time. The show replays every Sunday at 6 PM here in Southern California on KCAA. The worldwide podcast and my YouTube drop every Thursday. So you can catch the podcast just about on any platform that you consume your podcasts. And the YouTube features the interviews with my guests. And so we've cranked that up about about three months ago. And it's starting to really uh, get some footing there. And we're having a lot of fun with that because we do the show a little bit differently. Because when you're interviewing somebody face-to-face and it's going to be posted online, you want to uh, make sure that there's an, an energy exchange uh, when you're doing the YouTube version of the show. But that interview itself also is what you hear right here on KCAA and also on the podcast version. It's just on the YouTube, you get the interview only. And sometimes we do some bonus features there, like we did last week with uh, Lawrence Grobel. So, Guys Guys Radio, again, every Wednesday. And also, you can catch me on my website, robertmanny, M-A-N-N-I.com. I've got... Over 300 blog posts about everything, life, love, the pursuit of happiness, a lot of relationship stuff, 
a lot about health, fitness, and just my journey in business and dealing with people and friendship and relationships and love and health and all kinds of things on there. So there's it's all free, uh, 300 plus blog posts. You can also download three free chapters of my novel, which is the source material for everything Guy's Guy. And the name of it is The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love. It's about two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money in New York City. It's got some savvy women, some flawed guys there, but it's a it's an interesting portrayal of sexuality in New York City, and it's been called by iconic 20th century author Dan Wakefield as the male successor to Sex in the City. So I hope you can check that out. You can pick it up on Amazon or wherever you buy books. And again, we're here every Wednesday evening, and I'm here for you because I want to bring you the best guests and the best information that adds some value. Now, with over 500 plus interviews that I've done and 457 shows to date, uh, I've learned a lot. Uh, Hopefully, if you've been tracking along with me, you've picked up a lot of information too. And as I always say, I don't do everything my guests suggest. I don't follow everything that they say, but I screen the guests before I bring them onto the show and I I do my very best to bring you guests that I think have something to say and can add some value and some entertainment factor. So that's what we do here on Guys Guys Radio. We're here for you, and I thank you, my listeners, so very much for sticking with me. And as the show keeps growing and growing and growing, and we're getting more and more guests and more and more information, it's just been a blast. And now I'm starting to reach out and get guests that talk about very specific areas that are beyond just wellness or beyond metaphysics or beyond relationships. I had, we've got coming up, we've got somebody who's going to talk to us about uh, Lyme disease. We've got another show coming up about um, CBD. So very specific things that uh, you might not know too much about, but this way is a really a top-level way you can learn about it here on Guys Guys Radio. But thanks again. I'm going to see you next week. And until then, like I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first. <laughs>